0: Come on, Let's hide
1: back. Matthew chapter six. All right. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and just this time that we have together. We pray, Father, that you would speak to us, open up just uh, our eyes to hear what you say, to see uh, see what you want us to see. As we give you thanks in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. So we're going through Matthew five, six, and seven. It's the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is preaching, sharing, his teaching, actually, is what he's doing, teaching his longest message that he will in the Gospels. And this one is covers three chapters. Um, last week, we learned that we need to be perfect, as our Heavenly Father is perfect. And that's the standard that God has for us. Will we ever be perfect on this side of eternity? No. And so, there's a double meaning there. The double meaning is our perfection is found in Christ. He makes us perfect because we substitute our sinfulness and we give it to him. He gives us his perfect righteousness and that makes us perfect. But there's righteousness that we grow in as well. And this is the constitution for the Christian, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And it speaks of what God desires to supernaturally begin to work in our lives. We can't do this stuff. In fact, Matthew chapter 6 slays me. As I read it, as I study it, I fall very, very, very short of the standards that are found in Matthew chapter 6. And I don't say that um, like just kidding. Like I say that seriously. As I read this chapter and I see what God wants to work in my heart and out of my life, I recognize, Lord, man, I'm falling short in this area. So when we find ourselves there and we realize that there's something that God has for us that we don't possess, then hopefully in humility, we can come to God and say, God, I don't have the ability. Can you do this through me? I'm willing. I'm willing. I want you to help me in this area. And then we'll watch God flex his muscles through us. And so that's a beautiful thing. Okay, so Matthew chapter six, we're going to read verses one through four. This goes in sections. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men. The word charitable deeds can be your righteous acts or your righteousness or your good deeds. We've heard of good deeds, right? And so he's saying to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory for men. Assuredly, I say to you that they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. And so Jesus is here going to open up different things. He's going to open up, um, Let me see what I wrote here. Jesus thus begins to deal with three spiritual disciplines, giving, prayer, and fasting. And you have the three monotheistic, one God, world religions, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, that believe that there's one God. Um, These are the three pillars of those three religions. And so I find that interesting. These three were and are the most prominent practical requirements for personal piety in mainstream Judaism. These same three activities together with the specifically Islamic requirements of Hajj, what is it called? Hajj, Hajj, H-A-J-J-J, and recitation of the creed constitute about also the five pillars of Islam. Okay, so I just find it interesting that Jesus is going to hit on these things and the contrast between what God wants to do through us supernaturally and what others want will do as an exterior is what Jesus is going to draw out. So he starts out, take heed that you do not do ter- charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. A lot of people do things to be seen of people. They want recognition from people. They want people to notice what they're doing. Why? Because they want the approval of people. They want the applause of people. They want to hear that, you know, at a boy, at a girl kind of thing. And so Jesus now is telling us When you do good things, when you do righteous works, when you do good deeds, when you do charitable deeds, don't have the motive to be seen of men because God's not pleased with that. God doesn't want our motive to be, the only reason I did that is because people were watching. It's kind of like when the boss, you know, comes around and you grab the broom and you start sweeping. It's like, no, I'm busy. I'm busy. I got something going on, you know, do it because it's right. Do it because... It's, it pleases God because it 's how you want to live your life don 't do it because people are watching Verse two He says, therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory for men. So imagine that some Pharisee is going about to give some money and he 's got some people traveling with him he stands on a street corner, and then he says, All right, hit it. And then people are able to see him giving money to the poor. And they're like, whoa, man, look how holy that guy is. We'll never be holy like him. And Jesus is saying that when they do that, they have the reward in full. Because that's not the heart of God. He goes on to say, um, verse 3, but when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing that your charitable deed may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. So I'm reading through the chapter this week and as I'm reading over and over, something struck out, stood out to me, struck me. Uh, I try to say struck me and no, yeah, yeah, that's what I try to say. Stood out and struck me at the same time and I said struck out or something like that, I don't know. Something stood out or struck me as I was reading through over and over and what stood out was, if you were to read Matthew chapter 23, it's Jesus's harshest words ever given. And they're to the religious leaders of his day. And the whole motive of why they did what they did, what they, why they did what they did, was to be seen of men for the applause of people. And God doesn't want us to do that. But yet, notice what he says at the end there. He says, and your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. You get exactly what it is you truly desire from God in his timing when he wants to do it. So don't do it to be seen of men. Do it as if it were in secret. And when the time is right, God will reward you openly. And we cannot give God. And so be careful as you give. Any questions on giving in that first section there? We're going to move on to the next section. everybody okay there? Alright, verse 5. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. The hypocrites by the way were mask-wearers. They were two-faced. And the word hypocrite comes from the actors that would go on stage and they would have to play multiple parts. And the facial expressions on the mask was exaggerated so that people way in the back could see what the facial expression was. So if it was like a happy face, It was like exaggerated, big old happy face. Okay, he's playing the guy with the happy face part. Okay, I can see that because I'm in the last row. But it was a sad face with tears and it'd be exaggerated. And they were called Two-Face or mask wearers or hypocrites, actors on the stage. And so many people live their life as though the world is a stage. But guys, we perform for an audience of one, not for the applause of many. We want to shine in a different sky than this world shines in. We want to shine in God's sky. And so he says the hypocrites when they pray for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. What's their reward? Again, it's the applause of men. If we want to be rewarded by God, we have to do things differently. We have to have a different motive for why we do what we do. He says in verse six, but you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your father who sees in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. The specific ancient Greek word for room was used for a storeroom where treasures were kept. And this reminds us that there were treasures waiting for us in our prayer closet. So it's a private chamber. For for some of us, maybe it's while you're driving in your car. You're by yourself. Nobody can hear you. You're not doing it to, you know, roll your window down and, Jesus, I just love you so much, God. You know, you're not doing it so that people can see you and you can get, to, oh my gosh, you're so holy. They pray so long. Wow. Or anything like that. Your prayer closet is that place that you can go to a private place where... Nobody's really seeing. And so I, I think we do a lot of waiting. While you're waiting, talk to God. We do a lot of waiting in lines. We do a lot of waiting. Go to the DMV, really do a lot of waiting, right? And so opportunities to be able to do things in private. Verse uh, 7, and when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words." Doesn't this go counter to what we think is a spiritual prayer? A person that prays and they've really got their prayer life together? God is saying, let your words be few. You don't. God already knows what we need. He wants us to stay connected to Him. And so it's not in vain repetitions. I find that interesting because so many religions teach vain repetitions, right? 572 Hail Marys. Or this prayer repeated over and over. Or this long drawn out. I don't know who said it, but he said, if, if, you know, for the truly spiritual, it's long prayers in private, short prayers in public, short prayers in, in... No, no. Long prayers in private, short prayers in public. So you want to impress anybody? Impress God on your knees as you talk to him. It's not really, we're not praying for others. And I think we get guilty of, of this sometimes where we're praying in a public or it's it's a you know, where where people are hearing us pray, and it's like, are we praying to God or are we praying for the people? Are we reminding God of things that he already knows, or are we trying to remind people? And so in those things I think we need to be very careful. One can pray long, uh but the wrong to the wrong God. In first Kings you'll remember chapter eighteen, the prophets of Baal cried out for half a day. They're praying to the wrong God. So did that long prayer count as anything? Half a day. Imagine that. 12 hours. I don't think I've ever prayed 12 hours straight. That's a long prayer, right? And at the end, what were they doing? They were cutting themselves. Answer us. Answer us. Did their false God ever answer? Never showed up. In Acts chapter 19, a mob in Ephesus shouted, Great is Artemis of Ephesians for two hours. For two hours. They're they're talking about this, this false God, this fake statue thing. And that's what they're praying to for two hours. The true God isn't impressed by the length or eloquence of our prayers, but the heart. Prayer requires more of the heart than of the tongue. Clark writes, the eloquence of prayers consists in the fervency of desire and the simplicity of faith. And that's what our prayers are. Our prayers are talking to God communicating with God. Um, Really, it's not us trying to get God on our side, but we're coming on board to his side, his will. God already knows what he's going to do. God has already, he's got all that figured out. He's sovereign. He rules and he reigns in the kingdom of men. And so in prayer, our hearts are changed. You've heard the the, the saying, prayer changes things? It does, it changes us. And so we should spend time in prayer with God. Verse 8. Um, therefore do not be like them for your father knows the things you have need of before you ask in this manner therefore pray now Jesus isn't saying that we can't pray this prayer but he's saying in this this is how you should pray this is a a model for prayer this is the way the format that you should pray and then he says what we call the Lord's Prayer but it's not really the Lord's Prayer Lord's Prayer is found in John chapter I think it's 15 Uh, where God prays. Is is it? Brian, do you know? 17. 17? John 17. So he says, In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Um. So we, we consider that the Lord's Prayer. I find it interesting, unlike a pastor or a preacher, Jesus is asked later in his ministry by his disciples to teach them one thing. They don't ask, hey, can, Jesus, can you teach us how to, how to fish? Can you teach us how to, I don't know, can you teach us how to preach? Can you teach us how to teach? Can you teach us how to do miracles? Can you te-? No, they only ask him one thing. Can you teach us how to pray? And I think that came from spending time with Jesus and watching how he talked to his father. When he does that and he repeats this prayer almost verbatim, he shortens it, not lengthens it. And again, unlike a pastor or preacher, huh? Ask a preacher a question and they'll lengthen it. They'll make it longer. Not Jesus. He shortens it. I think that's pretty neat. So he starts the prayer and he says, Our father. It speaks of relationship. There's not one singular uh, personal pronoun in this prayer. He's our father. You're not the only one that's praying to God. You have a family. You're part of a family. And that reminds us that he's our father. Father speaks of relationship, right? Um, Many of us struggle with the idea of God being a father, but God is a perfect father. If you could have had a perfect father on this earth, that's who God is he's a loving father, he's a gracious father, he's a patient father, he's a merciful father, he's a good father. He wants good for you more than you want it for yourself. He knows what makes you tick, he knows your heartbeat, he knows the things that would excite you and those are the very things that he wants to bless you with. He wants to give you the desires of your heart. It's just an incredible thing. And so if you struggle with the idea of God being a father, get to know the God of the Bible because he's nothing like an earthly father. Every earthly father, no matter how good he may have been, he's imperfect. He's a sinner, just like all of us, in need of a savior. But remove that idea of anything of an earthly father because our heavenly father is perfect and awesome in that sense. So he says, our father, and where is he? He's in heaven, I want to remember where my God is. When I'm praying to God, that perspective that I understand that he's in heaven and I'm on earth, what does that do for me? That reminds me that he has a perspective that I don't have. He sees everything because he's in heaven. And he sees the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. He knows where I'm going. He knows where he's taking me. And so that's that perspective that we need to have when we pray to God, understanding that, God, don't you care that I'm struggling? Yeah. Yeah, I, I care. And I'm trying to teach you something in the midst of that. Will you trust in me? I don't know why it takes us so long to learn lessons, but it really does take us long to learn lessons. And...
0: Not to interrupt, I've gotten to that point, being at the riverbed, and it's like, why would you put me here, God? Why? What did I do to deserve this? And, and now I've come to the realization that, that there is a reason... I have no idea why, but I don't question it, you know. I know I'm there for a reason, and, you know, just just go from there.
1: It'll come in time. And you'll look back, and you'll say, wow, God, you did that perfect. I I don't know how you did that. You took evil. You took some bad stuff, and you turned it around, and somehow, wow, that blessed me. So wait on God. Trust in God, and you'll see he'll bring it to pass. So our heaven, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy be your name. God is holy. And so we don't come to God flippantly. We don't come to God like, um, you know, callously, uh, BFF talk. As much as Jesus is our friend, we're praying to the father. And there's a respect and a reverence that we have for him. He's not mad at us. He's madly in love with us. But at the same time, he's all powerful. And Jesus would say, don't fear him who can destroy your body only, who would be Satan. But fear him who can not only destroy your body, but cast your soul into hell. That's the one you fear. That's the one you respect. That's the one that you give reverence to. And unfortunately, our, our culture, they don't want anybody telling them what to do, and they want to call the shots of their life, and they don't respect anybody. We got to respect God. And in respecting God, we understand that he's all powerful, that he loves us, but never lose sight of how powerful God is and who he is, and he deserves our respect. It says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not your kingdom, it's not your name, it's not your glory that you're living for as a child of God. It's his, it's his kingdom come and his will be done. And you want to see his will be done in your life. And the way you see that is you participate with him in life as opposed to resist him or hold him back. Did you know that you can resist God? Did you know that you can say no to God and he will respect your free will? But how often is that going to go good for you? Let's see, I think, yeah, zero. That's not going to go good for us when we reject or, 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 or hold God back. We want to see his will be done on earth. After all of that, notice the intro as he gives our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then he gets to a personal need. Give us this day our daily bread on the daily. okay. And so God is promises to provide for our needs, not necessarily our greeds. Give us this day. Today, Lord, help me to be able to live. Help me to function. Help me to get what I need today. And it's kind of hard living in America because we we do that comparison thing. I bless you. right? We do that comparison thing. And so we need to be careful with that. Then he goes on to say, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So if we owe somebody something, we're asking you to forgive us as we forgive those who owe us as well. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And amen. So as I was reading this, I was like, lead us into temptation. Do not lead us into temptation. I know that God doesn't tempt us with evil. The Bible says that in the book of James. And so like, I was like, what's the dynamic there? If we truly pray, lead us not into temptation, it will be lived out in several ways. It will mean, number one, never boast in your own strength. Guys, we're weak. And we're strong in some areas. If we unguard that strength, it will become a double weakness. If you let your guard down in an area of strength, the enemy is—you're ripe for the picking from the enemy. So when we pray, lead us not into temptation. We never boast in our own strength. Be careful. Number two, never desire trials. Trials are going to come. Trials are the way of life. Difficulty is going to come our way, right? So we're not boasting like, "Ah, oh, I can handle this." When we When we say bring on a trial, what are we saying? I can handle it. I'm strong. No, you're not. No, you're not. And so be careful because that's prideful. That's boastful. Number three, never go into temptation. We'll never go into temptation if we're truly praying. Lead us not into temptation. And then finally, number four, we'll never lead others into temptation. So if we're praying, lead us not into temptation, that's what that's going to look like. We're not going to boast in our own strength. We're not going to desire trials. We're never going to go into temptation and we're never going to lead others into temptation. That's what that means. Then at the end, he says in verse 14 and 15, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Who wants to explain that to me? Look at it, study it, check it out, and then give me the answer of what that means.
0: Well, if, if you're expected to, if, if you want forgiveness for your trespasses, you, you, you won't get it unless you can forgive somebody who is trespassing against you. For instance, um, I had a bicycle that got stolen out there at the riverbed. My bicycle. I didn't even get mad about it what was the purpose in getting mad about it and I, and I, I just, uh, kind of out loud I was the only one there and I said you know no, no, I don't care who it. I forgive whoever's whoever's got that Bible because apparently they needed it more than I did and I look at that as me maybe giving them the Bible you know and I forgave them you know therefore you know, my, one of my trespasses that I've committed has been forgiven because I forgave somebody who,
2: who trespassed against me
1: okay anybody else well, I get
2: the first part. The second part, if you if you ask for forgiveness of your sins, he will forgive you. That I mean, the first part I get. You know, sometimes you have to forgive God. even when they don't even ask for forgiveness. It kind of releases you from that that bitterness inside you.
1: Yeah, that's the result of forgiveness. Yeah. Harbouring unforgiveness is like eating rat poison and waiting for the rat to die. Is that gonna work? How's that going to work out for you? I'm going to eat rat poison and I'm going to watch the rat and wait for him to die. That's unforgiveness and what happens when we harbor unforgiveness. So we know that stress kills and we know that God is looking out for us. But what he's saying here is pretty outrageous. If I don't forgive, I can't be forgiven. That's what he says. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. That's pretty tall order, right? Good thing he didn't catch me last week on Tuesday because who? I mean, I'm imagining I'm not the only one that's been in a position where I've held on to unforgiveness because somebody offended me, because somebody did something to me. And I was like, oh, heck no, not dude. Let me catch him in the street right? I guess I'm the only one. So I do struggle. I struggle with this. I think God is definitely looking out for us and saying that it's going to kill us. Unforgiveness is going to kill us. So what is forgiveness? To release the debt owed. Somebody did something to us. Somebody does something to us. Somebody takes something from us. We release them from the debt owed internally, internally. That doesn't mean that we can't go to court, testify against them, see justice served somewhere down the street. But in our heart, God is saying, release them from the debt owed. And guys, I think it's difficult. I think forgiveness for us, you know, we take so much (laughs) (coughs) <coughs> did it again, right? I mean, you know, in our humanity. It's a tough set of scriptures. I, I, I can't explain it. I was hoping somebody was going to give me a phenomenal answer. I've studied it all week. I, I've seen it before. I'm just saying, that's, that's, so. I'm not, I'll leave it there. We'll, we'll wrap up with our last two ver- uh, three verses. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you that they have their reward, but you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Notice he opens it up with moreover, when you fast, I think he said, when you pray, I think he said, when you do charitable deeds, right? He's expecting these things from his kids. We've taken on a new nature. But he's trying to teach us now as kids of the king, as kids of the kingdom. His kids do things differently. We do things for the right reasons. We do them to please our father. Let your light so shine amongst men that they would see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven. And so this is kingdom living. These are things that we should be busy about. We should be fasting however often you fast. It should be somewhat... It's not just for the evangelist or the preacher. It's for all of us as his kids. And what fasting does is it shows your body that your spiritual person is in charge as opposed to your flesh. Our flesh has appetites and cravings. And something that it rightfully deserves, usually three times a day, is a meal. It deserves a meal because without food, we perish, right? And so God is saying, when you fast, you're showing, believe it or not, your flesh and its appetites, that your spiritual person is in charge, so that when that temptation looms on the horizon, you've already shown your flesh how to say no. So that's been the healthiest thing for fasting for me. It breaks down chains. One time I remember I went to visit a family member, and I thought there was maybe a demon Something going on there. I couldn't tell exactly what it was. A book of Isaiah says that fasting breaks down those strongholds. And so different reasons, but ultimately fasting is something that we should do. There was a demon that Jesus had to exercise from um, someone and his disciples couldn't do it. And they get along with Jesus and they're like, why couldn't we do this? And he said, this one doesn't come out except through prayer and fasting. In other words, if you don't have a lifestyle of this, you're not going to be ready when the attack comes. And so again, I think it's a habit that we should be in. Whatever that habit is, however regular it is, I hate fasting. And I try never to do it. (laughs) But I do it once in a while. But fasting uh, also
2: is not just fasting from food. And the big purpose of it is to... To bring you much closer to God, so you can spend more time uh, in prayer with Him. A bit, you know, like last year at Lent, I gave up television and so I think like social media, and it was a, a wonderful experience because those distractions—they were big distractions, right? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and so I got to spend more time in prayer and talking with God, and strengthening my relationship.
1: Mm-hmm. You're like one of them serious Christians, huh? No, because
2: someone said to me a while ago, it's not just fasting from
1: food. Yeah. Fasting in the Bible speaks of fasting from food. There are different types of fast throughout the Bible. Daniel had a vegetable water fast, and all he ate was vegetables and drank water. Okay? And so we see different types of fast, but when the Bible talks about fasting it's referring to food. Can we fast? Like, what if I'm diabetic and I have to have so much sugar for regulation and if I don't eat, then it's going to get all wacky and I'll die. Um, fast from TV. Fast from social media. Fast from something that you know your flesh, it just eats it up. You know, for a lot of guys, it's video games. Just, it could be a lot of things. So nothing wrong with that. But when the Bible talks about fasting, it talks about not eating food. Period. Right. But they had temptation and distractions. They had temptation and distractions. What
0: does that mean, like for a whole day or for two days? Or
1: I mean? Start with a meal. Start with a whole day. Start with, you know, I mean, just, it's a, it's a challenge. Jesus fasted 40 days. Moses fasted 40 days. Can't do that. <laughs> Can't do that. Yeah, yeah, you won't probably do that on the first Time out the gate. I watch some, <laughs> of the,
2: some of the people I work with, because they, they're in like the Coptic Christian churches, uh-huh. so like around Easter, I mean, they fast serious. They don't eat anything that comes from an animal, or, you know, and by about the 20 something day, they start looking like gray <laughs> and, yeah. and unhealthy. And yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: if you look at what Jesus is saying with all three of these with giving, with praying, and with fasting. He's going to go on to talk about money and we'll do that next time. But what what he's saying is don't do it to be seen of men. Don't look like you're emaciated. You know, don't puff up the cheeks, you know, put a little makeup on. Do do you know, do what you got to do. It's a private thing. It's a personal thing. It's you and your relationship with your <laughs> heavenly Father. And so if you're announcing it blowing the trumpet letting everyone know really there's your reward whoa holy yay you did it it's it's really a private thing sometimes we'll do a corporate you know prayer and fasting for the church and you know something that mm, I struggle with but at the same time I know that if we didn't do that people wouldn't fast ever so you know sometimes I'll throw that out there and we'll have a need that we'll pray for and you know we, it's a neat discipline better not to do it if you're going to do it wrong throw that out there so questions comments concerns
2: the section about forgiveness and you said you've been in it seems like a a big challenge from God you know it's like it's like a big challenge uh, where he's saying forgive others and nowll you know I forgive you if you don't forgive me I don't no. forgive you And it seems like a really big challenge, challenge because it's like a battle between your spirit and your flesh. And maybe he's telling us, you know, you really need to live in the spirit. If you don't live in the spirit and keep uh, focused on me and forgive every trespass, you know, you're not going to make it. Because if you live in the flesh, then you're living off your ego, and the ego is fragile. And anything anyone says or anyone does, it's going to offend you. It's going to offend you. And you're just going to be, you know, angry at them all the time. So you've got to live in the spirit and and stay close to God to make it easier. Because it's not an easy thing to do as a human being, you know. But the more you walk in the spirit, the easier it becomes. Mm -hmm. Because people have asked me, like, it's just not easy to forgive people, you know. You know, they make me mad all the time. They do these things that irritate me all. They say something mean to me, and I tell them, walk in the Spirit. Mm-hmm. It'll get easier the more you do that. So maybe that's why he's saying to us. No.
1: I think, I mean, in the interpretation of what God is saying, what Jesus is saying in this sermon, when he talks about verse 14 and 15, the forgiveness. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Bottom line, Christians are to be forgiving people. We take on the character of our God who forgives. He gives the parable of the guy who owns a million dollars and he throws him in prison. He says, will you please forgive me of the debt? And he says, yeah, I'll forgive you. He goes and finds some guy that owes him chump change, hundred bucks, and he doesn't let him. The guy says the exact same words, will you forgive me of the debt? And he says, no, I'm going to have you thrown into prison. Then you go and find, the master of that guy goes and finds the first guy that he forgave and he said, how dare you? How dare you? I forgave you a debt that you would never be able to pay over your lifetime and you have the audacity to throw this guy in jail who did, owed you a trifle amount of money in comparison to what you owed me. I forgave you much and you couldn't forgive a little and that's really what this comes down to. God has forgiven us of our sins. We were going to hell without Jesus. And how dare us not forgive our fellow man when they do something small and insignificant in comparison to what we did to God. That's what it's really, I mean, saying and meaning. But I just think it's a, it's, it, he puts it in very difficult terms. You're not getting around the words of what he's saying. And yet we struggle In the arena of forgiveness. Number one reason why people cannot go to the mission field. The number one reason why people can't go to the mission field when there's a review board that's going to send people from the church on the mission trip. Unforgiveness in their heart. Number one reason. Christians. So it's something that's hard. It's something that we struggle with because we don't want to be hurt again, we don't want to be vulnerable. And God is saying, be vulnerable. Be vulnerable. Because I'm vulnerable to you, and I'm the almighty God. Think about that. God puts himself in a position where he's vulnerable to us. And he's saying, I want you to be like me. Be vulnerable to one another. Because what it does, it melts people. It breaks people. It breaks down defenses. It breaks down guards. Doesn't mean we have to put ourselves in danger, harm's way. We have a right to protect ourselves. We have a right to defend ourselves. But he wants us to be vulnerable. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the forgiveness that you grant us, the forgiveness that you give us for the death on the cross that paid the price for our sins. And so we just uh, bask in that, Lord. We just uh, are in awe of that. And we thank you so much. Continue to help us, Lord, as you grow us up in the things of God. In Jesus' name, amen.